Well, we started last week looking at this subject of the beauty of God. And our primary scripture was found in Psalm 27. So why don't we turn there? Psalm 27. David says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. So one thing, David says, one thing I've desired, one thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. So we said that when we think about the beauty of the Lord, we're talking about His attractive character, His surpassing loveliness, One person defined it this way, the beauty of the Lord means that in his nature, the Lord possesses everything that is desirable. God's nature is such that wherever God is, there is beauty. The more clearly we see the beauty of God, the more we will love him for himself. Not just for what he might give to us, but to love him for himself comes by way of seeing more of the beauty of God. So my desire in sharing these thoughts on the beauty of the Lord is to call us all to seek to have our hearts and minds awakened more and more to God's awesome beauty. We said that all things beautiful find their foundation, their source, in the character of God, the character of the triune God. He's the norm, he's the standard of what is beautiful, what is good, what is true, but especially we're thinking here in terms of what is beautiful. Not only that, he's the ultimate fulfillment of beauty. He's he's the foundation of beauty. He's the fulfillment of beauty. All that's beautiful is found in God. And then we said that one way of understanding the great panorama of the teachings of biblical revelation is to see that God's eternal purpose in Christ Jesus is to bring bring about a creation which perfectly reflects his beauty. This is what God's doing in, in creation. More than that, his purpose is to have his image bearers, that is, redeemed humanity, delight in and share in his beauty forever. This is what God's aiming at, that those people made in his image 
would be able to share in his beauty and delight in his beauty forever. And we said that we can trace five major links in what might be called the chain of beauty. The first and foundational link is the intrinsic beauty of God. God was and is eternally beautiful in himself. Beauty always existed in the Trinity. When there was nothing else, there was the beautiful God. This beauty is especially manifested as the three persons of the Trinity exist in in the perfect harmony of love, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enjoying an eternal love for each other, a glorious harmony of interpersonal relationships with one another. When the Bible says God is love, that's part of what it's talking about. That love existed forever between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that first link in the chain has to do with the beauty that God had in the Trinity forever. In time, he created a beautiful external creation, something beautiful external to himself, when he spoke into existence the universe. He pronounced what he made good because it accurately reflected his character, his beautiful character. Now, it didn't stay like that. Human sin distorted that beauty. But he sent his beautiful son to earth so that beauty could be restored. That's the third link in the chain. Christ is the great restorer of beauty. And we spent quite a bit of time on that area of God's beauty because it's really one of the most prominent in the scripture, the beauty of the Son of God, the restorer of beauty. So, just as kind of a recap, in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth, he made everything beautiful. All creation was a reflection of the beauty in the mind of God. Sadly, God's creation did not stay in that beautiful condition. Through sin and rebellion, humanity tried to go its own way, attempting to become their own standard, their own standard of reference for what is good and true and beautiful. So we said that sin is actually the great perverter of beauty. It is a beauty corrupter, a beauty destroyer. Sin is unclean. It's defiling. It's dirty. It's ugly. Sin is a great perverter of beauty. But God through his Son is the great restorer of beauty. Christ came to restore beauty. The beautiful one came to restore beautiful, the, the beauty that God intended for his creation. In him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ was God manifested in the flesh, and 
He said, he who's seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the beauty of God. God sent his Son to earth to display the radiance of his glory and to give us an exact representation of his beautiful nature. So, Christ is godly beauty perfectly personified. He's the altogether lovely one. And that's really basically where we left off last time with those first three links in the chain of God's beauty. Now we want to go on this morning to look at the last two links in the chain of beauty, God's beauty. That is his beauty displayed in his people and his beauty shared with his people forever in the age to come. So first then, his beauty seen in his people. When God came, when God sent his son as a restorer of beauty, one of the main manifestations of that was as he works in the lives of his people. We see beauty. We see this truth presented in many different ways in the Bible. And I just want to point out two very important illustrations or examples of this. God's people are presented in the New Testament as his beautiful temple and as his beautiful bride. These are just two examples of what that show that God brings beauty to his people and he does it he illustrates it by calling his people his temple and his bride and this fits in so well with the verses we looked at uh, the verses we're looking at here in Psalm 27 but we pointed out some other verses related to the beauty of God's temple last week Psalm 84 verse 1 and 2 how lovely are your dwelling places O Lord of hosts my soul long even yearn for the courts of the Lord. So God's pl- dwelling place is lovely. Where is God's be- dwelling place now? His people. Yeah. Uh, in Psalm 96, 6 and 8, honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Where is God's sanctuary now? Well, it's his people. <clears throat> and then, of course, the one that we're looking at this primary verse this morning, uh, David said, One thing I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, meditate in his temple. The beauty of the Lord is seen in his temple, which is his people. His beauty is no longer displayed in a temple made with hands. In the New Covenant, we find God's people individually and corporately are now his temple made beautiful by his indwelling of that temple do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you Paul says <clears throat> many verses on that subject Ephesians 2:21 1 Peter 2:5 all those speak of God's people being his dwelling place his temple Just as in the Old Testament type, the temple was to be a place of beauty, 
so it is now in the New Testament reality of the church being his temple. It's the place he dwells, and there's beauty there in the church. Where God is, we said this before, where God is, there is beauty. If God's in and with his people, there's going to be beauty there. As his temple, there will be beauty in our individual lives and as we gather together. Another way the scripture speaks of the beauty of the church is by presenting Christians as the bride of Christ. He is preparing for himself a beautiful bride, the church, and he, and he finds great satisfaction in making his bride beautiful. Christ finds great satisfaction in making his bride beautiful. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. He delights to make his people beautiful. Another verse on this, or another section, is in Revelation. Let's just turn to this one. Revelation chapter 19. Verses 7 and 8. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. There's a picture of the beauty of the church. What is that beauty? Well, it says right here, given... um, For it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The beauty, you see, of a life lived for God. A life of uh, where God's present in that life. The beauty of God's people as his temple and as his bride is made possible by Christ's loving sacrifice for his people and the gift of the Holy Spirit. His beauty makes the church beautiful, first of all, in his own sight, which is amazing, but it's his beauty that does it, makes makes his people beautiful in his sight and in the sight of those with eyes to see. Now the world is very quick to point out the moral flaws and failures of the church. You can read all books and all kinds of stuff on that. And it's true that God's people do sometimes fail. Yet the reality is that God's true people can and do reflect his beauty in a lost and dying world. Where would the world be without the grace and goodness shown by God's beautiful church through the centuries? It's a good question to think about. Think of the hospitals and schools and care of the poor and the orphan and the widow. Consider the great works of art and music and poetry. Also the great strides in social justice and freedom. These were brought about by the church. 
it's part of the beauty of the church that God is is working in a, a wicked world. But even more, think of the millions of simple acts of kindness and mercy daily shown by Christians. Where would the world be without those just simple daily acts of kindness that go on constantly coming forth from God's people? If tonight the influences of the Christian church were erased from the world, darkness would cover the earth and gross darkness the peoples. What a sad and sinful place this world would be. Jesus said his people are to be the light of the world. And when they let their light shine, this is truly the case. God's people reflect the light of Christ. They are the light of the world. Sinful people often despise the people of God. And one of the main reasons is they shine light into the darkness. And the men love darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But there will come a day when the lost world will be held accountable for rejecting the beauty seen in God's people. And there's a number of scriptures we could point to on that. So what I want to do is just expand a little bit on this subject of Christ's beauty uh, in the church, the beauty of God displayed in the church. Wherever God's people worship together, they testify to the world of the beauty of God, displaying something of his loving character and showing forth a beauty, a beautiful unity and diversity, like a diamond with many facets. The church is one body made up of diverse members, individuals from every tribe and tongue and people and nation made one in Christ. That's a beautiful thing. This kind of loving unity and diversity is a reflection of the love relationship within the Trinity. There's love in that unity and diversity we find in the Trinity, always has been. Also, on an individual basis, God's people reflect his beauty in their daily conduct. One of the first results of of the work of grace in a heart is a sweeter, kinder, truer, more loving character. This is not just for some super saints. Every Christian's life is beautiful as they abide in Christ. If you're abiding in Christ, there's going to be beauty that comes forth from your life. Beauty of the character, beauty of character in the Christian life is simply the reproduction of the likeness of the beauty of Christ. And any feature that is not beautiful in the Christian's life is not truly Christ-like. It doesn't rightly represent Christ. Anything that's not beautiful in your life doesn't rightly represent Christ. Just as doing evil in God's name is a great abomination to him because it gives a distorted representation of his loving character, so doing beautiful things in God's name greatly delights him because it accurately displays his character. 
A Christian's beauty is seen when he or she loves God and loves his na- their neighbor. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if we have love for one another, if we love as he loved us. God is glorified and his kingdom advanced when his church is beautiful, that is, living, holy, loving lives. So just let me emphasize this again. Doing beautiful things in God's name greatly delights him because this accurately displays his character. So what is that beauty of God that he gives his people? I think it's primarily the beauty of love. Love for God, love for others. Reflecting the eternal love within the Trinity. Now ultimately... All spiritual loveliness comes from God. Of course it does. He's the source. He's the foundation. If the beauty of the Lord our God is to be upon us, we must first have his divine beauty imparted to us by his spirit. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. If Christ lives in us, in time he will completely transform our lives into something totally beautiful. Right now there's still some ugly things that cling to our lives. But when Christ comes again, we shall be like him. So this is the last link then in the chain of eternal progression of beauty that uh, we've been looking at when Christ comes again all will be beautiful we started with the eternal beauty of the Trinity before the world was we come at last to the time when God's sin ravaged creation will be completely restored and his redeemed image bearers that is Christians will share in his Trinitarian beauty forever Admitted into the beautiful fellowship of the Blessed Trinity. Now, we're talking about things we can hardly imagine. We are going to be admitted into the beautiful fellowship of the Trinity when Christ comes again. Creation restored and our lives totally transformed into the image of Christ. This will take place when God makes the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. There everything will be beautified with his beauty. It will be a realm of beauty beyond description where God's people delight in and share in the loveliness of their God. Christ's beautiful bride will be totally taken up with him and he with her, delighting in one another. As one Christian poet put it, he and I in that bright glory, one deep joy shall share, mine to be forever with him, and his that I am there. There will be beautiful, breathtaking views of God's restored creation all around us, What wonders we'll see, 
I don't know. An uncursed creation where only righteousness dwells, seen with totally transformed eyes. What beautiful wonders shall we see? We can only imagine. But the preeminent reality of this realm will be the glory and beauty of God. All else will pale in significance in comparison with his overwhelming beauty. Actually, the glories of God's new creation all around us will simply make us delight in him more for his love and generosity in providing such a beautiful environment. We just delight in him more. All the beauty of the new heavens and new earth will be a reflection of the harmony of love that binds the members of the Trinity together. All glory will go to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We won't be just delighting in that creation, beautiful creation. Our main delight will be in him. Nor will God's people be looking at their own personal glorification as totally, you know, we're going to be totally transformed into the image of Christ. And that's going to be wonderful. Wonderful beyond what we can imagine. The Christians will be glorified and beautified beyond what we can ask or think. Again, all the glory will go to God. We will be be beautified, but it will be because of Christ. So, God gets all the glory. As a songwriter said, The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. We will not gaze at glory, but on the King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. And here, I think, is one of the most amazing things. As we read in Psalm 27, David wanted to be in the temple to behold the beauty of the Lord. But we find out in the book of Revelation, in that age to come, that there's no temple. I saw no temple, John says, for the Lord, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. What's that saying? I believe what God is saying there is that God's people will be in his immediate presence, surrounded by his infinite splendor, delighting in and sharing in his radiant beauty forever. There's nothing between. There's no temple needed. God's the temple. Not Not only will we see his beauty, we will be part of that beauty. These are incredible things. Do I know what I'm saying? Very little. Very little do I understand what I'm saying. But I think it's true from what I read in the scriptures. We'll not only see his beauty, we'll be part of that beauty. We will be immersed in the love of God that binds the Trinity together, sharing in the beauty of that relation, that that relationship, that harmony of love that existed forever 
to live and love with the one who is three in one. I just invite you to meditate on this, to think of this, that God's people will enter into and share in the beauty of the eternal love which existed between the persons of the Trinity before the world was. I'm going to say it again. God's people will enter into and share in the beauty of the eternal love which existed between the persons of the Trinity Trinity before the world was. My scriptures for that are found in John 17, verses 28, well, 25 through 28, really. So we see God's eternal purpose fulfilled to bring about a creation which perfectly reflects his beauty and to have his image bearers, redeemed humanity, delight in and share in his beauty forever. And all of this is to the glory of God. Again, just think of this. Meditate on this. The altogether beautiful one has made a way in Christ for us to be partakers of his beauty eternally. And this enjoyment will be ever increasing. This is another amazing thing. There will be an eternal increase in our joy in God. The rivers, the river of his delight will always be expanding and raising higher and higher. It has to be the case because he's infinite in his beauty. You you can't ever get enough of it. And there's always more to have. Well, there's so much more that could be said on this grand theme. But it would be wrong not to remember that the Bible also tells us of a place where there is no beauty. A place where there's no restraining grace like there is right now on earth. A place where sinful people will be left to themselves. A place where the one who does wrong will still do wrong. And the one who is filthy will still be filthy. A place where selfishness, the selfishness and ugliness of sin will grow worse and worse. A place of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. In short, a place where there's no beauty. Some might think, well, I can live without beauty. You don't know what you're saying. Such a person has no idea how hideously ugly sin can be. Even now, in this life, where God graciously puts restraints on evil, there's terrible things that you would be sickened to see. I could, I could put scenes up on that screen of such terrible things, you'd want to run out of this room. Unimaginable moral ugliness. 
the ugliness of sin and hell will far surpass any examples here on earth except for one, the beautiful Son of God on the cross where his appearance was marred more than any man. He took the ugliness of sin upon himself so that beauty might be restored to God's creation and to those who would put their trust in him. Why is there such a place as hell? Why is hell necessary? Because there are those who refuse to worship the altogether beautiful God. Though he has clearly revealed his beauty in creation and in his word and in the godly living of his people and especially in the beauty which shines forth from his Son, they will not honor him as God or give thanks. Hell was initially... Hell was initially made for the devil and his demons. But there will also be people there because they persist in turning their God-given beauty into moral, the ugliness of moral sin, the ugliness of moral rebellion, just the same way Satan did with the beauty that God gave him. That's why there's going to be people in the same place Satan is, because they followed in his steps. In Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17, we see Satan symbolically described, just, just taking one verse out of that section, verse 17 says of Satan, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. What's that saying? Well, what that means is that the devil desired the worship that only God deserves. He would not worship the one true God who is the eternally, eternal source of all beauty. Whatever beauty Satan had there in the beginning it was from God, but he wouldn't acknowledge it. As mentioned earlier, sin is always a perverter of beauty, a corrupter of beauty, a destroyer of beauty. This was true for Satan, and it's true for all who, like Satan, turn from God. In perverting God's beauty, they end up in ugliness. Hell will be a place of ugliness beyond anything we can imagine. There will be nothing beautiful there. No light, no love, no harmony, no companionship, no comfort, only darkness, destruction, and death. Yet even hell, even hell, in some ways will show the beauty of God's moral purity and just punishment of sin. It's very important to remember that his judgments are not ugly. Just judgment is necessary to uphold the beauty of his holiness and the beauty of his new creation. When we see things as we should, we will say, True and righteous are your judgments, O Lord.
If people turn from God's beauty and choose the ugliness of sin, they shall be separated from all that's beautiful to live out what they've chosen to become. Well, I don't want to end on that note because that's not where the Bible ends. God's a restorer of beauty. He sent His beautiful Son that we might have His beauty and have it forever. So in closing, if you have not bowed before the beauty of God, ask Him to open your eyes. If you see it, you'll bow. Read the Gospels. Ask God to reveal His Son to you. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. His beauty is evident to those with eyes to see. When God shines his light into our hearts, we find him to be irresistibly attractive. It's not primarily the ugliness of hell, but the beauty of Christ that brings us to God. And that's our motive for serving him. The beauty, his beauty, his all-entrancing beauty. Here's part of a poem that presents this truth. They have seen the glorious light. Though blind men scoff and fools deride, and all the world against them side, they know, they know beyond all doubt that the God of glory has called them out because they've seen the glorious light. So the question is, have you and I seen something of the beauty of the Lord? If so, the one thing we will seek more than anything else is what David sought. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. May God open all of our eyes. If we've seen something of the beauty of Christ, if we're Christians, we know there's a lot more. If you can sit, if you can read the scriptures, if you can sit and hear messages, if you can see the lives of Christians and say, oh, it doesn't mean anything, you just need God to open your eyes. There's beauty beyond our wildest imagination to be found in Christ. May God help us.